Writer, director, and executive producer Jeff Schaefer takes us behind the scenes of Curb Your Enthusiasm, writing with Larry David, Seinfeld, and much more. This is Pop Culture Confidential. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. I'm Christina Yerling Biro. So it's been six years since Curb Your Enthusiasm was last on the air, but they are finally back to thrill us with all of Larry David's awkwardness, his insensitivity, and his own very personal way of exposing hypocrisy. The first episode of the new season, which aired last Sunday, was no exception. As usual on Curb, no topic is off limits. Sexuality, race, PTSD, you name it. Yoo-hoo! Did you just yoo-hoo me? Oh, oh, you can't yoo-hoo a judge? You're devoid of anything that's remotely caring or empathetic. (laughs) Shut up! That is a great compliment. You don't come to work for two days? Because you were constipated? Yeah, luckily it was only two days. People do things constipated. Come on, I shot a porno constipated. I ran a 5K marathon constipated. I was in a hot dog eating contest constipated. And I still fucking won. Enigma. Fuck! I enjoy the mind of Larry David. Anytime you want to get rid of me as a patient, just say, uh, I've had enough. Oh, dear God. I'd like you to leave, Larry. Out. I want you to go out of my house. Thank you for leaving! If I see you on my bus again, I'm gonna fuck you up. I'm very excited to have longtime Larry David collaborator and the executive producer of Curb Your Enthusiasm, Jeff Schaefer, with me here on the show. Now, Mr. Schaefer has an impressive career on some of the most influential shows on television. His credits include writing for Late Night with Conan O'Brien, He was a writer-producer on Seinfeld. He co-created The League with his wife, writer-producer Jackie Schaefer. And his movie credits include Sasha Baron Cohen's The Dictator and Bruno. Jeff Schaefer has written the last four seasons of Curb Your Enthusiasm. He's directed many episodes and been executive producer on the last three seasons. Mr. Schaefer, thank you so much for being here. Hi, thank you for having me. So six years, how could you do this to us? I live vicariously through your awkward situations. (laughs) I know, it really has been a long time. And and the thing about this season is, think of how many, well, think of how many awkward situations you've gotten into in the last five or six years, and then think about Larry and multiply that number by a (laughs) hundred. So he had to come back. There were were too many, there were too many petty indignities, um, too many violations of etiquette. He could stay quiet no longer. Yes, and and that's that's the weird thing. I was just thinking about it when I was researching with all these really difficult and heavy things that are happening around us, unfortunately, in the world. It's really it's kind of a relief to have you guys back and Larry David worrying about these small awkward things that you know matter to us in life, right? No, it's totally true. I mean, look, everybody is there's there's a lot of big big things to worry about these days, um, and someone. Still, and everyone's worrying about those things, and that is good and right. But someone still has to focus on the tiny things. Someone has to focus on the minutia, on on the petty indignities, <laughs> and and Larry's Larry's our Larry's our hero for that. Right, he's not too worried about Trump. Curbs Larry. <laughs> yeah, he, curbs Larry. Well, curbs Larry lives in lives in you know the west side of Los Angeles, so he's he's definitely he's definitely um, in a sort of he's definitely of where he's from, but. 
he uh you know he's usually so focused on on the i would say like the uh the the petty trees that he can't see the bigger forest right <laughs> well i want to get back to your incredible process of of writing this and and some but i'd like to start a little bit with you there seems to be sort of different iconic backgrounds for tv writers and actors like say the groundlings for snl people and the onion you are a harvard lampoon guy um can you tell me a little bit about what that did for your career yes the the harvard lampoon is um I mean, so many of the shows that you enjoy um, that you may say, boy, those have, I like those jokes, but they're really stupid. There are some very smart people writing those very stupid jokes. <laughs> um, I was just at dinner last night with my um, my two writing partners forever, uh, um, Dave Mandel, who runs Veep now, mm -hmm. and um, Alec Berg, who runs Silicon Valley. And we all used to work together at Seinfeld. And and uh, it's a, you'd be amazed and you guys were all together at Harvard Lampoon, right? Yes. Um, yes, we were. So so we came out here, and uh, and so we've been writing together since we were in college. Um, and this is sort of the first time we haven't all been writing together all the time. And Dave and Alec were both too busy to do uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm this year because they were on their own. You know, they're each running their own shows. But mm -hmm. the Lampoon is a great um, – it's a great training ground for uh, comedy writing because you um, – learn not to do a lot of bad habits and you learn some good habits, hopefully, and you get to read all of these people who came before you. When I was, when I was on staff, you would read these old pieces by people like Conan O'Brien um, or, you know, Paul Sims or, or, you know, uh, Mike Reese and, and Al Jean who were running the Simpsons and then George Meyer and all these great people. And by the way, when I went to college, I didn't think this was a job. I had no <laughs> idea. I, I'm from Ohio. I just knew I wanted to be on the lampoon. I didn't know that it was, it wasn't until I was actually there a few years. I was like, oh, you start seeing the people that were graduated before you now, they're working on a show called The Simpsons and they're working on Larry Sanders and um, there were some on Seinfeld and you start to think, oh, this is actually like a real job that, <laughs> that people actually do. Um, and boy, I'm not really qualified to do anything else. So uh, let's, let's try it. And um, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't give you a job. It gives you um, training and it gives you, you still have to, it gives you a door to walk through, but you still have to be good enough to walk through the door. But um, there's a lot of, there are a lot of lamping people out here. You mentioned that there were some bad habits and things you learned. What, what, what do you mean by that there? Um, you learn to do, well, they, the lampoon, when you're, you have to, there's a lot of writing you have to do to even get on staff. So there's a, it's months and months. There's a, there's a tryout where you have to turn in three pieces and then they, then there's a cut down. And then the, if you make it to the next round, there's, you write straight another three pieces and then there's a cut down again. So you, you have to do a lot of the best, the best way to get better at writing is to actually write. Um, and you have to write a lot even to get on staff. So you're already learning that process of disappointment. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. You're realizing what, uh, it's funny when younger writers, when they, they may give me a script to read and, and I'll say something like, you know, this joke and that joke, they're not really, they're funny, but they're not working. They're hurting the scene. And the young writer never wants to take them that joke out. And I realized that's because if they've written like 12 jokes in their life, you're taking one of them out. They're like, that's almost 10% <laughs> of all the jokes I've ever written. <laughs> and you're like, and they're like, let me tell you something. If you actually work in, in comedy, you're going to be throwing out way more jokes than ever make it. That's just the way it works. So, so get used to it. So, what are you saying that the a younger generation is is lazy? The very Larry David thing to say, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
In my day, I wrote 100 jokes and I only used two of them. Right. <laughs> you should be lucky. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but that's the thing on the floor. And, like, and especially for something like Curb, which is a semi-improvised show, we write an outline that's very detailed in terms of you know what all the you know what the scenes are and you know why the scene is funny, but then you have really talented improv actors saying it in their own way, and also every scene is a live rewrite. Mm -hmm. So every scene we're shooting, the actors are coming up with things, I'm coming up with things, Larry's coming up with things. So you re, you're literally rewriting while the cameras are rolling and making each scene that way. Right. I'm going to get back to, to breaking that down uh, slightly, but how did you guys end up on Seinfeld? Alec and I came out to, we were a year older than Dave's. We came out to Los Angeles and we worked on a few shows um, that where the, the episodes never got on the air. It was the beginning of Fox and they were making shows and you'd make a full show. You'd make six episodes of a show with real cameramen, real actors, real craft service, everything. And then the president of Fox would get fired and then the new president would come in and, and that show would just never see the light of day. Um, and the very first show we wrote an episode for was a show called Great Scott, which starred an unknown actor named Tobey Maguire, who you may know now as mm. was, was Spider-Man. And he was young then and it was a it was a fun show. And the guys who wrote it, uh, the guys who created the show, Tom Gamble and Max Pross, um, thought Alec and, and my stuff was good. And then we after that show ended, we ended up we went to Conan in New York and we were we were back in LA and they said, why don't you they were now at Seinfeld and they said, hey, why don't you submit some ideas to Seinfeld? So we did. And nothing didn't hear a thing for a while and we were actually packing up everything in los angeles to go to work for conan you know full time for years and years and the day before the moving van came we get a call and tom and max said hey larry and jerry read your stuff uh do you want to come in what are you doing <laughs> i was literally sitting in a it's like four o'clock in the afternoon and i'm in a bathrobe i'm just like i'm doing nothing right now i yes we will happily come in and talk to larry and jerry so it was this surreal experience where you're walking into a room with Jerry Seinfeld and Larry David, and we started to pitch our ideas, and they liked them, and we got hired that day. Wow. And what have they taught you most about writing? Yes, Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld, the most important thing they taught us was structure. Mm -hmm. And that's what Seinfeld was. It's really, everyone says, oh, it's a show about nothing. It's the most structured show uh, and the most plot-heavy show of its time. Instead of having um, most sitcoms just had sort of the same tired stories and then they would just add new jokes, mm -hmm. whereas Seinfeld was all about the stories. If you told someone the story of what happened, it had to be funny, not just the jokes. And so like the first episode that Alec and I wrote was um, – and one of the first stories we pitched Larry and Jerry was George getting caught eating out of the trash. You find yourself in the kitchen. You see an eclair in the receptacle. <laughs> And you think to yourself, what the hell? I'll just eat some trash. <laughs> no, 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 no. It was not trash. Was it in the trash? Yes. Then it was trash. It wasn't down in. It was sort of on top. But it was in the cylinder. Above the rim. Adjacent to refuse is refuse. It was in a magazine, and it still had the doily on. Was it eaten? One little bite. <laughs> well, that's garbage. And you're like, they're like, oh, that's funny. And you can see where that goes. So that's, that's what they taught us is to come up with unique, funny ideas. And then 
figuring figuring out how to weave those ideas together to like to form an un, uh, a very surprising comedy end because okay I say George gets caught eating out of the trash I'm calling it a story but really it's just one scene right what are the other what are the other five or six scenes how do they how do they bump into Elaine's story and Jerry's story so that's what they taught us to do and and we write Curb and I wrote the league the exact same way we did Seinfeld which is taking these ideas putting them on a dry erase board and trying to outline a show and doing this comedy geometry to make all these separate stories come together in a really satisfying end. So you mean your first, first you're sort of outlining the general, this is what happens here. This is what happens then. This is what, and then you're putting the jokes in kind of. Yes. But ideally the story's funny. Of course. So each, each of those, each of those scenes is funny too. And then what happens is on Seinfeld, once you have the outline, the structure of it, you know why all the scenes are funny. You spend a few days writing the script. And for Curb, we just don't spend those few days writing the script. And instead, we write it. We write the script live mm-hmm. um, with the cameras rolling. And and what there's a few things that I know I understand that you wrote on Seinfeld or that were partly your idea, at least that's incredibly legendary plot lines, Festivus and like the urban sombrero. Um, what are some of the epi- things that fans still react to you that you've written on Seinfeld? Um, Festivus is a huge one. And I can take, I personally can take no credit for Festivus. Festivus really, there was a writer that Alec and I shared credit with that named Danny O'Keefe, who's a friend of mine. He, he lived Festivus. Oh, really? His father, his father made them, celebrate Festivus and Danny would tell us these stories and we just said we have to put this in the show and he said no you're not putting this in the show and we said we're in charge yes we are you have no choice and that so his dad really had a a clock and a bag and a Festivus pole and a an airing of grievances um so you know but out of out of some of the crazy situations that's where you get good stories um I mean, some of the things that I'm proudest of that I see still getting used all the time is, um, for instance, uh, the word regifting. Ah, um, of course. Which was in, that was in the second show that um, Alec and I ever wrote, um, The Label Maker. And you know, we had regifting and degifting, and, and just the fact that it's now in the Oxford English Dictionary uh, makes me very proud. <laughs> yes, congratulations. <laughs> That's amazing. Um but the writer's room, I'm thinking they're very special personalities, Jerry Seinfeld and Larry David. Is it sort of a positive energy? I mean, do they like a lot of people in there? Um, or, or is you know what I mean? Seinfeld was very unique. Again, it didn't run like traditional sitcoms where you've got, say, 10 or, 10 or 12 writers all sitting in a room writing the stories together. Seinfeld was more like an independent college course where you – you would go and pitch your ideas to Larry and Jerry. And if they liked the ideas and you had an idea for Kramer and Jerry and George and Elaine, then they would say, go back to your room and write it, mm-hmm. you know, show us an outline. And they'd come in and look at the whiteboard and they'd say, Oh, that's pretty good. But you think this is the whole show? No, that's the first act. Come up with more stuff. And so once they were happy with the outline, then you'd write the script. Um, and so there was no, there was no writer's room which I actually completely agree with. They wanted unique ideas. Right. They didn't want homogenized everyone sitting there. And so, um, so what would happen is you would write your script and then it would go into Larry and Jerry's office 
and you'd sit outside the office waiting for the pages to come back with Larry's handwriting all over it. Oh, so they'd continue on it. So, yes. And so, and you were like, for instance, that label maker one I was talking about, they read the script and they go, oh, we'll take this to the table read. And I was like, oh, this is fantastic. They're basically just happy with what we wrote. And that's how we knew we were doing it the right way. Okay. Well, once Larry, once Larry left, because again, Larry didn't do the last two seasons of, of right. Seinfeld. Um, that job then became like Alec and my job was to, with Jerry, do all the rewritings, do all the rewritings of everyone's scripts. Um, so in that we would have like Jerry, Alec and I, and then, and usually the writer, and we would do a small, a small uh, sort of writer's room. But I think any more than four people in a writer's room um, is, is too active. Much. Yeah. So anyway, it's a, it was a very special show that way. That's yeah. interesting because usually people I talk to are tons of people in the writer's room. Yeah, I don't know what that I don't know what that's doing. It's there's, you know. So for us, it was all about. And you, by the way, you'd sit in your room trying to think up ideas, and you get so frustrated. Oh, I, I don't have a good idea. I don't have a good idea. And you know, oh, let's just go grab lunch. And we'd walk across the street to the sandwich shop, and I bought a sandwich, and um, I was going to tip the guy, and I'm about to put the tip in the tip jar, and he turns around, so he's not going to see the tip. Okay. And I'm like, ah, he's not going to see it. And it's like I should have pulled it out. And I was, oh no. George is going to pull it out and the guy's going to turn around and think he's stealing from the tip jar. And there's your story. <laughs> okay. So it's always, it, that's what Larry and Jerry wanted. They want us to be out in the real world and come up with, come up with stories that really happened. And so that's the thing. And it's the same way with curve. It's every time you're out in public and something embarrassing happens or something awkward happens, you're, you're thinking in the back of your head, well, in the front of your head, you're thinking this is terrible. And in the back of your head, you're thinking, I can't wait to come to the office tomorrow and tell Larry what happened. Right, right. Um, the first episode, which people who are listening to this will have seen, um, foisted, I'm thinking maybe, could you break down what you were talking about? What did you have to begin with? What were those um, structure stories? What did you have in that episode? Well, the most important thing we had to address in the season premiere was what has happened to everybody in the last five or six years? Um, and that was the very first thing when we were talking, when Larry and I were talking about doing another season, we wanted to figure out what our season arc was going to be, you know, sort of what's the overall structure of this whole season. And we needed that. And we needed to know how to explain what Larry's been up to for the last six years. And once we realized that Larry was going to had spent all of his time writing a musical called Fatwa <laughs> and then that he was going to get a Fatwa for writing the musical Fatwa. We're like, that's, that's a great season arc. And um, so once we had that, that sort of kicked off the entire sort of writing, writing of the, se of the season. Um, and the trick was how to get, um, how to get uh, Larry to do exactly what he shouldn't be doing, which is imitate the Ayatollah. So, you start to, and we knew we wanted Larry to have an assistant that had that was didn't come into work because he was const, she was constipated, mm -hmm. and we knew Larry couldn't get rid of her. And then he finally is able to foist her on Susie. So now Leon's his assistant, and Leon is a terrible assistant and doesn't tell Larry to please don't imitate the Ayatollah on TV. Right. So, so all of that, it's all of that structure. Larry thinks he wins, then he loses, then he really loses. Um, is sort of is all the work we were doing trying to weave these stories together. 
And then you have the semi-scripted part where, where with so much improv on, on these incredible actors that, that you're working with. But I'm curious about that because that's a lot of pressure to put on someone, um, or even the best actor, to like do you, to not let them hang out to dry, so to speak, on, on the day of the taping. Do they ever have a bad day? Do they get stuff? How does that improv work? Well, it, the, we're like, I'm the safety net and Larry's a safety net. Like we're never going to, first of all, the scene should be funny anyway. Like if you just read the scene, you know why, what your attitude, as an actor, you know what your attitude is and how it's going to clash with Larry's. But there are no lines written. There'll be, there might be, there might be some, there's usually like one or two in there. Uh-huh. Um, uh, and then as we're writing, Larry likes, doesn't like to put a lot of lines in the outline. So I also have a, I always have a separate document uh-huh. that has other lines that we document. thought of that yes and by the way i'm always whispering in the the actor larry wants to keep things very fresh so he doesn't want to know sometimes what the other oh. person's going to say so i'll just come up and whisper in the other person's ear hey try this or this um and the first take we let whatever happens happens and sometimes it's brilliant sometimes it's a hot mess and then we start to talk about oh we forgot to say this so you should say this stuff don't say that until the other person comes in um, you're going to do that in another scene. What about this joke? What about that joke? And the scene starts to take shape um, as we do takes. And the brilliant part of the way this show works is that you get people saying things that no one ever expected. <laughs> and you get these magical digressions that you never planned for and couldn't have expected. And, and that's, and, and yet they're the, sometimes the funniest thing in the scene. So you just have to be, you have to sort of be very limber and it's really, I always say it's like shooting a, a live comedy sporting event. Right. Um, so it's, but it's, it's very fun. And do you, do you shoot scenes much, much longer? I mean, many more times than most other shows would because of this? Um, yes and no. I mean, we, the show basically gets written three times. The first time is the outline. The second time is on set where we're, everyone's sort of shouting out jokes and trying things. And then the third time it gets written is in the edit room where we have to sort of pick and choose which, which line is going to be in, which way are we going to go with this scene, which sort of argument are we going to do. So on the set, it's really about, about trying to um, find as much fun stuff as you can, and then we shape, it, we shape it in the edit room. But I don't know. It's like you never worry that you're not going to get something good because you know you've got funny actors out there, and, and you sort of go, well, I'm funny. They're funny. It's funny. We'll make sure we'll figure we're going to find something that's pretty cool, whether it's because of something someone said or whether it's because of something we had in our back pocket. And that's the brilliance. Larry's brilliant that way. Larry's able to write while he's acting in the scene. He can see outside of the scene. um, And sometimes he'll start laughing in the middle of a scene. And he's laughing at what he's about to say and where (laughs) that's going to take the scene. So he's, he's writing, he's writing because he's reading pages in his head that no one's seen yet. All right. Uh, and, and of your amazing cast of people, who, who is like the craziest at improv? Who, who will just say things that are like, whoa, <laughs> he went there, she went I there. I mean, J.B. Smoove says things that you just never expected. <laughs> and he loves, he loves throwing Larry for a loop. Yeah. Um, um, so he'll say things that, <laughs> it just um, has no. Sometimes you just have no idea what's going to come out of 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 JB's mouth, and it's so fun to uh, 
to see how he's going to uh, how he's going to throw how he's going to throw uh, Larry a left hook. He just and do you remember um, any example is, where he did that? Oh, I mean, I'll, I'll just talk right from the very first the very first show. Let's just take one from there when when Larry walked up to Jay, uh, to Leon's guest house, right, um, and was pounding on the door, and, his, and he said, "What are you doing in there?" And Leon starts talking about how he's lamping. Right. Um, Larry had never heard that word before. So that's just an honesty. He's like, lamping. Larry explains it and then goes, what's wrong with chilling? And so all that, that's like just them, them in, being in their character in the scene. Um, but like he, Larry had no idea that wasn't in the script. So he just went with it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you guys, you guys are seemingly not afraid of anything, any topics or anything, but what storyline would you say has been the most controversial during your career with this show? Um, well, it's interesting because I always joke that we, we know where the line is because we can look back and see it. Uh-huh. Um, but I think that um, we're not really afraid of doing any topic. It's not the topic, it's how you do it. Um, so that, and I think that's one of the things Larry's amazing at is knowing how to handle things sometimes delicately and sometimes, you know, hitting it hard. Um, I would say the biggest, biggest like uproar I think we ever got was when the, was with the rat dog, when the exterminator, um, Kevin Farley, uh, killed the, killed the dog he thought was a rat at a school play. Uh It was like two, two or three seasons ago. And, um, there was this ugly little hairless dog that ended up getting loose. And then this guy, Larry, Larry, it's a long story because it's the end of the story. So I can't explain it all, but Larry had to bring his exterminator as his date to this play. And anyway, someone saw this hairless dog and said it was a rat and the exterminator ran over and just started just, <laughs> just stomped on it. Um, and all everyone's screaming. And, um, anyway, people really did not like that. We, well, that's um, interesting. Really, really stomped a dog. That was that's the biggest one that, that we ever. I, that's the where we like people were like really sending in letters. But I do have to say this, um, you know, and I, I confidently speak for Larry uh, when I say this is that he has never taken the audience's needs or wants into consideration. Right. Not once. He just doesn't care what you think, right. which is great. He just wants he all he cares about is making the funniest show. I know this is sort of a, a typical question that you must get all the time, but but is Larry David the real Larry David? How similar is he to Curb Larry David? Well, there's the difference is there's the difference between real Larry and show Larry. And by the way, this is a little insight into how the show gets written. Is that, for instance, he'll come in in the morning and he'll say, "Ah, oh, I was at this dinner party last night, and this guy said this and did this, and I just wanted to tell him blank, but I didn't." And I'll say. Well, real Larry didn't tell him off, but show Larry sure is going to, and that's going to be an episode. And that's, that's how it works. I think um, show Larry is neurotic Superman to real Larry's Clark Kent. Mm. <laughs> and that's like a dream scenario because that, that happens to us all the time. You sit and you're something does something stupid on the bus and you think, why didn't I do that? <laughs> um, why didn't exactly. I say that? I, and then you get to do it on your show. Yep. Yep. Exactly. It's very, it's a lot of wish fulfillment. I always say Larry speaks for those who have no voice. So he's, <laughs> he's, the, he's, he's speaking for all of us. Right. Now there's a rumor that there's a incredible season finale on um, this one. Um, 
um, correct me if I'm wrong, that it's like a supersized episode. Um, is there anything you can tell us about that? Yes. Uh, here's what I can tell you about it. We're editing it right now. Uh -huh. uh, in fact, when I get off, when I get off the phone with you, I'm going to go back in and sit with Larry and, and we're, um, we're, uh, we're like having about another week finishing the edit on it. Um, I'm very happy that as, as much as the first episode of the year was a, a surprise, um, you even now that you know that Larry has gotten a fatwa for writing a musical called Fatwa, um, you will not expect the end okay. um, where we end up. You're not going to kill uh, him, are you? I, you know, every uh, here's what the other thing I'll just say this: every every season of Curb is the very last season of Curb. Oh. I mean, the end of season five, the final episode was called the end. So, so this the show is definitely built that. It was definitely written that this could be the last episode of Curb ever or not. Right. But that seems like a very Larry David thing to always have the security that this is the end to not to sort of be able to relax between seasons. Am I right? Well, it's sort of you're you're half right. You're the attitude's wrong because you're you're a positive thinker. You're thinking <laughs> about something positive. And that's so flip it. This is what the real reason is the is the inverse, which is. By the time the season is over, Larry's put all his good ideas into the season. So he doesn't have any more ideas that he really likes. And why would he do a season if he doesn't have any good ideas? So that's why there could never be another season. Right. Um, it's over. And he's the only person on the, yeah, he's the only person on the planet that thinks he's never going to come up with another good idea. So, so until that sort of reservoir fills up again, there could never be another season to curb. Ah, okay. Because he never wants to, he never wants to feel like, he's doing something he doesn't that's substandard that or he's being forced to do it right right he wants to be free <laughs> yes right. um and and what about you um can i ask you do you have other projects lined up um there are a few things there are a few things there's a um a project that my wife and i that we did the league with we're um we've been writing uh and sort of uh figuring out how to uh how to make a, a new show We've been, there's one that's one project we've been working on um and there's still a movie project or two that uh alec and dave and i um want to do it's just tricky to find the time uh to do it because of all the different shows um but there's still things that we really want to do together um and then uh yeah there's and there's a and a few other movie projects that are but i'm sort of waiting to see what we're going to do um moving forward with curb too. So, um, so, but, uh, yeah, there's, there's some movie and TV things that I've been working on, but, uh, the reality is right now I'm still, I'm still working on this season of curb. We've got a, we've got a lot of editing to do. Between the three of you from the Harvard lampoon days between uh, veep and Silicon Valley and, 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 and curb your dinners must be really fun. And I can't. <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was great seeing that we had, we just talked and talked two and a half hours. It was really fun. It was, it was great to see them. Well, thank you so much for your time. I'm taking you out of the editing bay here. And, and congratulations to you all. I can't wait to see the rest of this season. And thank you for talking to me. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's a great season. And uh, I think you guys will be uh, very happy. And uh, lovely talk to you. Thank you so much to Jeff Schaefer. Curb Your Enthusiasm is on HBO and HBO Nordic now.
And thank you so much for listening. Please follow us on Twitter at PodPopCulture, on Instagram, PopCultureConfidential. And if you have a moment, take some time to rate us on iTunes and SoundCloud. That really helps us out. This show was edited by Tom Hansen, theme music by Carl Borg, and produced by René Wittestedt and myself. I'm Christina Jörling-Biro. Thanks so much for listening. Well, hey, podcast listener. My name is Vince, and I'm the host of a show called The RR Show. It stands for Reddit Readings. We're going to sit down twice a week, and I'm going to bring you the most entertaining stories from all of the best subreddits that exist online. Things like malicious compliance, petty revenge, hey, lady, I don't work here. Oh, there's so much more. Lots of great stories and things you won't believe. Like the one time uh, this dude was caught in a bathroom with his friend and he was slapping them because that was the only way that he could actually legitimately help them. A mall cop comes in with a taser. Oh, yeah, the rest is history. It's going to be fun. There is, uh, I don't know, I got like 20 seconds left, so I don't got much more time to tell you another story. But just join me on The RR Show. It's from Evergreen Podcast, produced in partnership with Wessler Media. So The RR Show. Wherever you get podcasts, subscribe today, and uh, it's like an adult story time. Let's hang out together. The RR Show. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts.